Hour number two of Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. So this is uh, this hour is going to be all about the Canuck season. Some of the biggest questions that face the team this season, if you have a question you want answered, throw it in 650-650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line for those that are listening live. For those on podcast, well, you may as well check out the first hour of the show as well, talking about Brock Besser's earlier than expected return. Some of the lines we're looking forward to seeing as the season opens and also a chat with Irfan Gaffar about where negotiations stand with Captain Bo Horvat, who's entering the final year of his contract. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central. So the Canuck season sat. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few questions facing this team. The one thing I uh, continue to, um, I guess, second guess, ultimately, is will the offense actually be there for this team? In the way that it needs to be, right? So what's the bar they need to get to? As we've talked about, you know, 270 goals seems like a bar you want to get to. And for this team, they might need more than that because I expect them to be giving up a few more goals than most other playoff teams You will. think so? You think they'll I, give up more goals than most other playoff teams with Demko and that? Myers out of the lineup for the first few weeks of the season? Yeah, but I mean, is that going to sink them that much? Like, I get what you're saying. I, Last... I, didn't, I didn't get a lot of confidence out of this team being able to uh, suppress chances in their own end from the preseason. I know it's preseason, but they weren't stopping anybody. Well, I mean, well, I mean, hey, that's not right. Against Arizona, they allowed seven shots. Okay. Hey, I'm just saying oh, they, they did. didn't stop any NHL teams hey, or hey, even somewhat NHL I don't, teams. I don't care wh- what team you're facing. Listen, that, facts that's wearing, only. Hey, okay. they're wearing NHL jerseys. They kept them to seven <laughs> shots. That's all I'm saying. Okay. They did. Hey, okay, I get what you're saying. I understand your concern. I'm just not. They held them to seven shots like they were the 2001 uh, New Jersey Devils. Unbelievable. It's great. I mean, they were top 10 in uh, goals against last year. Yeah. You know, at even strength, they were really good. It was it was a PK that really killed them. It, is, it was essentially goaltending. I don't think their goals against is going to crater. You know what I mean? Like, okay. I, like, I understand what you're saying. They allowed 236 goals last year. Yeah. They probably allow something similar. Maybe it's 240 you, you think? Know, they could. Maybe 245. I would put the bar at 250. But they give up a lot of goals in the PK. A lot of goals in the PK. Yeah. You know? Especially the first half of the season. Yeah. So, I mean, I see them giving up more. But even 10 more goals you're giving up, say 245 from 236. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's not insignificant. That's, yeah. you know, that's point almost like 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3 goals per game. So the the reason I, I I sort of look at it this way is, and, hey, I'm optimistic. I'm I'm booking Brock for thirty plus yeah, yeah. goals. I'm booking Patterson for a a point a game type season. Miller maybe not ninety nine points, but I still think he'll be in and around the eighty mark again this season. Then you have Bo. We can comfortably lock in Bo for at least fifty points. Probably sixty is more of a. Uh, 
a realistic um, projection for the captain. Beyond that, uh, I do think there are some question marks. Garland's going to be able to put up points. Pearson will be in the 35-40 point range. But what are they getting out of to to round out that top nine and to to really build out an offensive top nine? Are they getting a little bit more out of Pod Colson? And I still do think the wild card is Kuzmenko. Because if Kuzmenko hits, that potentially puts them into an elite offensive group or close to being elite offensive group. Yeah, I mean, for them to take that step, so many things have to go right. I yeah. mean, you know, you're, you're going from... 200 and was a 49 goals last year yeah which you know which wasn't bad like it wasn't bottom half I mean it was I guess it was towards the bottom half of the league but Mm -hmm. it was kind of middle of the road type of deal it was lower than any playoff team significantly lower than any playoff team in the western conference in the western conference yes 266 was the the low the the low mark for playoff teams in the west which was the Preds, which was 17 more goals in Vancouver yeah they scored and they only. Gave and that up might seem like nothing, but it's not nothing. Well, I mean, like I said, and I mean, my math was off, but even ten. If you give up ten more goals, that's point one, one two about yeah. goals per game. It's not insignificant. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's not an insignificant amount of goals. So, I feel pretty good about them getting over two hundred fifty goals, and I don't think they're gonna, you know, be you know two hundred fifty, two hundred sixty goals against unless Demko gets injured. I think with Demko being as good as he is, I think it gives them a pretty good baseline. And as much as, yeah, five on five, maybe that was unsustainable. I also think with how bad the PK was, I, I just don't see, I don't think they did anything, Dan, that they're going to be worse defensively this year than they were last year. Yeah. You know, and if anything, they should probably be a bit better with their team game. That could still lead to more goals against because, yeah. hey, it's hockey, right? I, you know, I, I think, um, you know, defensively, I'm, I'm worried about Pullman right now. And I, I, I'm confident Hughes and Shen will be fine, but having Pullman play in a top four role to start the season does raise some red flags here uh, to, to at least start. I, I saw some things that I liked in preseason recovery wise. Uh, he was there, you know, I saw some of the skating, but decision-making with the puck, still curious, sometimes not being able to get out of your own end, still curious. Hopefully he really grows into it as he get gets more games in him. But ultimately, this is the biggest question mark about the team, and it will be the biggest question mark about the team all season long is how do they perform defensively. Yeah, and a lot of that, honestly, I think is going to come down to obviously some improvements from individual players, but it's going to have to be with how they play as a team. Like the five-man unit thing we talk so much about, but also the overall puck support. The best way to keep the puck out of your own end is to keep it in the other end of the ice. And also just getting out of your own zone cleaner. Yeah. You know, and that's where they've talked about the structure thing. And and there was there were some signs of that through, you know, the later portions of the preseason. Even that, you know, that thin lineup that got throttled in the final five minutes in Edmonton. You know, they were doing a pretty good job with the breakouts for about 15 minutes of that game. You saw some things like, okay, now I see some things that That was Christian Melanin on the roster. Exactly. Though. I mean, he's not on the team and, you know, maybe they <laughs> shot themselves in the foot. But, you know, but you kind of saw that that Edmonton game in Abbotsford was, yeah, was a bit of a weird game overall. But you know they did a much better job of that against Arizona. I know UCL yeah. team and all that, but still they did a better job. If they can do some of that, I feel a lot better about their game. And you know, do you eliminate that seam pass a yeah. little bit? You know, and that's honestly sometimes just being putting your stick in the right spot. You know, so many times last year a Canuck forward or a defenseman had a stick in the wrong lane and a pass goes through, and I'm like. 
that's literally solvable with you having a stick in the yeah. right spot. That's all it is. Clog up those passing lanes. Um, this question, and it's a big part of how the Canucks play this season and how they perform, ultimately. Where is the PK going to be? That's from Clayton on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, can you avoid the bottom 10? Yeah. Which would be a huge improvement. They were bottom four, bottom three last year. Avoid the bottom 10. Get to 80%. Yeah, whatever, wherever that puts you. you know, yeah. I think that it's a good way of looking at it. Look at, look at it percentage-wise. Sure, you want that to be relatively relative to the rest of the league, and if yeah. the higher percentage, you want to be closer to it. But if, if, if your PK is at least killing 80% of penalties, you're giving yourself a chance. Yeah. You're well, not giving yourself a chance if it's under 80%. What was fascinating about the Canucks last year, it's not – like they weren't um, – they were actually pretty good at uh, not taking penalties. Yeah. You know, like all, uh, almost all year they were one of the teams that uh, conceded the fewest penalties. They were really efficient at allowing goals yeah, on the power. Yeah, but PK. they were very efficient <laughs> at giving up goals on the few penalties <sighs> – that they did take the most efficient in the league. I might add uh, that that's just something that can't continue to be over 80%. You know, I, I like a lot of what I've seen out of Curtis Lazar so far. I think he's going to really help the PK. Um, so 80% last year. So, okay. So 79 and a half. Would you say that passes for 80%? Yeah, pretty much. Right. So I, I round up. I always round, round up. up. So 79 and a half uh, was 16th. The Florida Panthers were 79 and a half. Okay. Edmonton was 79.4. Uh, and that was 17. So to be around that range, you're those kind are two of, playoff teams. I'm I'm sold. Yeah, I mean Colorado <laughs> 79.7, New Jersey yeah. 80.2. So you got to be around that 80 percent mark to give yourself a chance. Because I mean, teams don't make the playoffs if their PK is well. Like I mean, the Kings were an outlier last year with 76.7 percent. They made the playoffs with their PK being in the bottom 10. Yeah. So get get to 80 percent or in and around that 80 percent mark, and I think the Canucks. We'll, we'll have success. Um, I, I think the big thing that they figured out last year is to not be so worried about having um, Pedersen take some shifts on the PK. I think it's clear that the usage was there in the preseason. They're going to continue with Pedersen and Horvat taking shifts together on the penalty kill. Maybe not all the time, but it's going to still be a thing for them. And it works. Mm -hmm. So I think that is something we'll continue to see and will help the Canucks kill off more penalties um the power play though it, it it's been the most encouraging part of the team game for the Canucks through preseason I still see the power play like what's the expectation should it be top five in the league like <laughs> that's sort of the level I think they can get to but you know, I, I I do wonder you know, do they need to be top five in the league to end up being a playoff team in the end? I mean, I think you only have to be a top five playoff team if you have massive shortcomings elsewhere. Yeah. So if you're allowing a lot of goals at five on five, or if your PK is really bad again, then your peak power so play has to be. I let's think if project them to be middle of the road five on five. I think. Top what, what does their power play need to be? Top, top ten. ten. Top ten. Okay. And, and, like last year, they were ninth. I I don't see too many ways that they don't get there. I mean, the floor. So the uh, floor should be ten. You know, like there's just so many yeah. weapons on that. Power so let's play. put a percentage on it. I mean, what's the worst percentage to expect from that team? It's, I mean, it's they're not going to be under twenty percent. Yeah, last year twenty percent was you know good for eighteenth, nineteenth in the league. 
Yeah. So they're not going to be, I mean, they're going to be over 20%. I, I would expect closer to 25. Well, 25 would put them top five. I mean, I think it's realistic. It can, to, to... for sure. I'm just not, I'm not expecting, I mean, for your power play to be 25% and above all year, not only do you have to be good, you have to have a lot of things go your way as well. Yeah. As a long season, injuries. That's one for four all, every night. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to maintain all year. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, why, that's why a lot of great power plays are 23% even. You know, mm-hmm. Canuck, Canucks last year had a good power play, 23 and a half. Yeah. And the ceiling is higher. I think the ceiling is there. I mean, what's the most likely team stat the Canucks can get this season? I think it's the best power play in the league. Yeah. Like, they're not going to probably have the lowest goals against in yep. the league. They're probably not going to have the highest goals for in the league. No. They're probably not going to have the best PK in the league. No. The only thing they have a chance to have, I think, is to have the best power play in the league. Yeah. Do I think that's going to happen? Probably not. I mean, it's, it's it's a hard thing to do. And as long as there's Edmonton, yeah, 27%, Toronto, 27.3%, you know, those are really high numbers. But they have the, they have the potential to do that. And that's the one area which should be their massive strength. The the thing about the Canucks power play, I mean, they just have so many weapons, you know. Uh, wh- what are you trying to take away from us? Because we'll go to one of the other things. Um, whether that be, uh, okay, they're going to take away the Pedersen shot. Well, we'll go to the low high pass to Horvat in, in the bumper spot. Or Pedersen will have the fake slap pass to whomever is at the net front to get the back door. Uh Miller, when he sees teams taking away so much and he's given a free lane to the net, guess what? He's going to just bear down and take take his chance at picking a corner like we've so often seen him do. So, like, it's just got so many weapons that I don't see them going through prolonged, like, extremely prolonged slumps on no, the power play. And they have enough enough players that if they want to mix things up, they can. And if they can, if they can establish a second unit... Yeah. Then you have a second wave of offense coming. And that was really what made that 2019-2020 team so deadly on the power plays because they got a bunch of goals in the second unit. Yeah. Tanner Pearson. Yeah, he scored. Jake had a bunch of goals in the, on yep. the second unit that year. Their second unit got, you know, was one of the more productive second units in the league. Um so the one stat that the Canucks did actually lead the league in last year, at least under Boudreaux's tenure, was 5 on 5 save percentage. Yeah. The goaltending is a, a, a supreme area of confidence as long as Thatcher Demko mm-hmm. is in goal. We've sort of touched on this through the course of preseason. It hasn't really been a huge talking point. It's the backup goalie, after all. It's not often that we spend so much time on that position of an NHL roster. But like Spencer Martin does play a key role on this team this year in that He's got to give the Canucks between 20 and 25, probably closer to the 25 range, like strong starts or to the level where you're just confident that that guy can spell Demko on those back-to-backs and other points of the season. You You can't have more than maybe one start, yeah, maybe two, where you can't finish the game. Yeah. Anything more than that, then not only are you hurting the team, you're also not allowing your goalie, the star goalie, to get a rest. I mean, you know, the bar sometimes for backup goalies, this is why their numbers aren't always great. And it's like, well, why does this guy keep getting jobs? And his save percentage is 902. This guy's not very good. It's like, yeah, he's not great. But you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't blow up a lot. You yeah. know, like he, he's going to allow three goals every game, but you know it's three goals every game. You yeah. know, it's not going to be five. It's not going to be six. It's not going to be he melts down after the first one or we can't get through the first 10 minutes of the game because of him, right? I think that's 
you know, incrementally, and maybe that's a low bar, but I think for him to be a solid backup all year, that's what you really have to do. Make sure that you're not getting Demko off the bench to play. Yeah. You know, and if you could do that for 20 games even, that's massive. Demko is a uh, popular Vesna choice for a lot of people. Yeah, the Vesna is just so, like, so random. You know, like, he might have his best season, mm-hmm. and his save percentage is just slightly lower because the Canucks are giving up a little less or whatever it is, and he doesn't have a top five save percentage, and they won't vote for him. Yeah. You know, and he might still be the best goalie in the league this year by the, you know, underlying numbers, and we'll have Kevin Woodley sing his yeah. praises all year, and then Well, GMs I mean, by, yeah, by award. save percentage, Demko was nowhere near the top of the league last yeah, year. Yeah, and, and because, because um, that's a big part of the equation— for that award, like usually guys that have general managers looking at save percentage, they don't normally do. If, yeah. if a guy's save percentage isn't like top five, top six, usually they don't win the Vezina unless yep. they have a lot of wins, which again, yeah. they aren't the usual barometers, right? And a lot of shutouts and stuff like that. So I'm not big on predicting Vesnas, you know, yep. and usually it's a reputation award. So you know who you should bet on? Usually Vasilevsky and Shesterkin at this point. Mm-hmm. Just bet on those guys, and likely one's going to win, you know, like, but. I, I do don't think worry Darcy Kemper is a is a good deep bet this year. You think? Yeah, in Washington. Oh, in Washington, right? I was thinking he's yeah he is in Washington. Better yeah. uh, better defensive team than they get credit for those Washington Capitals. Peter yeah. Laviolette knows what he's doing. Kemper's won a cup. He's got a good reputation. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Anyways, I'm I'm just throwing that out there. This is the Canucks season preview, not not the Washington Capitals <laughs> season preview. Get your, give your head a shake. Um, so yeah, like the, the the goaltending part of this is is very interesting. Um. Because it is one area that could become a talking point pretty early in the season. The Canucks have um, 13 back-to-backs this year. We're going to get more into like important stretches of the schedule. So Although, that's 13 starts for Spencer Martin. That's right 13 there. starts, and then you're probably looking at 10 more it's like through the course of the season. At least seven. I want to. I want to see him get 20 starts. Can you keep Demko's starts to maximum 62? Maximum 62. I would put Demko again in the top five of the league. It would, but hey, like, I mean, we're talking about a couple of games. As yeah. long as you don't go, like, I think uh, the number, and, you know, we've, we talked to Woodley about this a lot, it's kind of like 56, 57. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can stretch a guy a bit more, and maybe they feel like, you know, he can do 60, 62. I think to me, 62 is a red line. Yeah. Like, I don't like getting 62, but it's kind of like, that's where you just just make sure you get yeah. get to like don't go past that. Now red you're line. redlining it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. At eight thousand RPM. Yeah, and it's, he, it's too much. And you know what? I'm not sure the Canucks are going to be good enough to not play with that red line all year. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not to not flirt with red, which is uh, a term in uh, broadcast radio. U- ultimately, um, who is the coach going to have the most confidence in? Yeah, Thatcher Demko. Yeah, and and hey, like unless the Canucks, I'm sure Ian separate. Clark will have a say, but you know, ultimately, uh, Bruce Boudreau, if he's not overly confident in Spencer Martin, then the Canucks need wins. Which look, they're going to be in a dogfight at I mean, the end of the year. I mean, look, look at the bar last year. The Canucks could be a hundred point team and not finalize a playoff spot until the last two games of the season. That yeah. was the Kings, essentially nine nine point teams. The playoff bar was high last year, mm-hmm. so. You can have a really good season, and you're still f- just fighting tooth and nail to get in. I mean, that, that's how high the bar was this past year. I would imagine that comes down a bit. But even, like the Canucks might have a four-point improvement and just squeak into the playoffs and get 96 points, right? Or yeah. like have a six-point improvement, get 98 points, and just squeak into the playoffs. So 98 points is generally viewed as a good season. 98 points might be the bar to get a top three spot in the Pacific. Yeah. That's a pretty high bar. So... 
you know, I know in the Atlantic, it's been over a hundred, uh, in the East, uh, I think in general in the East over last year was, it was over a hundred points to get into one of those top three divisional spots. It's likely to be close to that again this year yeah. with the way Calgary and Edmonton are trending. I mean, Vegas and LA, I know we're not the highest on them, but you know, there are scenarios where those teams hit the hundred point mark. A hundred percent. I mean, you, you know, a lot of good reaction on the text inbox. I mean, Lauren makes the point about, you know, we talked about this in Pomo. Hey, do you bring up a Salobs or a Di Pietro to, you know, be the backup Mm-hmm. So on home, some home games. So Demko doesn't dress. So if you know Martin does melt down, you're throwing him in instead of yeah. him. And it all depends on travel. It depends on cap. And yeah. I love the idea. And I think I think if the Canucks can do that twice, even right, like even if it's three times, can you get Demko three nights off this year? Where it's like, don't even show up to the rink. You stay home today. <laughs> Whatever it is, like you know, yeah. go and hang out or just watch in the press box, have popcorn, relax. Just just take the night off. If he can get two or three of those, I think that would be a huge benefit to him. And the other point Jesse makes is, you know, what about the playoffs if he plays over 60 games? Unless the Canucks establish themselves as a top two or three team in the division, yeah. and it's like, okay, we know for sure they're a playoff team, and then you can kind of start reeling it in towards the end of the season, and you can really, you know, not o- overtax your guy. But let's be real. The Canucks aren't a team yet that, that can worry about what we looked like in the postseason. They have to establish themselves this year as a playoff team. Yeah. Next year, I'm all for the conversation of, hey, you got to be careful because not only should you make the playoffs, you should do something in the playoffs. This year is about getting into the playoffs. I'd love to see them have success. And great if you win a round or two or whatever. But that's not the bar this year. It's about establishing yourself as a playoff team. And if you start you know, getting too cute about the stars for your goalie when you haven't established yourself as a playoff team, well, that's how you start missing those points to get into the postseason to begin with. Step by step is how you got to take it, as the new kids on the block would say. Dan Riccio. They, and- they, don't, they don't say that. <laughs> I don't think they say that. And the new kids on the block? This is the oldest you've ever sounded. What is this, Boomer Radio? <laughs> Pretty much. Jeez. Somebody had to come in with a reference. Out That's of like field. two bad ones. <laughs> uh, coming up, I'll tell you why um, the uh, start to the season, which the Canucks have deemed so important, may not be uh, so easy to have the start they want. We'll discuss that. Plus, uh, look at some of the lines on some of your Canucks for the start of this season as well. That's next as we continue the Canucks Central Season Preview on Sportsnet 650. Canucks Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 Five star, five star, five star, five star, five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. So, continuing our Canucks season preview, Sat. Everybody around this club has been talking about. Wanting to get off to a good start. Yes. It's imperative. It's like they, they have nightmares about the first 25 games of last season. Then play like it to start the year. The first 25 games of last season is essentially Freddy Krueger to the Vancouver Canucks. It should be. It scares them. But 
the schedule is not doing them any favors in the early part of the season. They start with this five-game road trip. And hey, yeah, I'm here for the team bonding and all that stuff, but I don't know how much that really applies. They started last season with a six-game road trip. Starting with a five-game road trip. And in the first two months of the season, 14 of the games will be on the road. So a very large chunk of their road schedule right away happening in the first two months of the season. Their first 23 games, 14 will be on the road. So it's a significant amount that they'll be playing away from Rogers Arena to start the season. Um, I don't know if I'm worried about that necessarily. Okay. They, they they didn't really have troubles on the road last year. It was their home record that ended up hurting them. Yeah, they ended up, by the end of the season, getting a couple more points on home ice than on the road. But they were 2016-5 and five on the road. So they picked up... So they were um, above 500 on the road. Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, not significantly, but they were a point above 500 on the road. Yeah. So I feel like they're a team that shouldn't, you know, get his teeth kicked in on the road. You know, so if you, as long as you're around 500 on the road, I think that's all right. And I think with how they play with their goaltending and them being able to have three lines going this year, at least a lot better than last year, I think they can mitigate against some of that. So, I mean, I, I don't think the road start to the season is necessarily going to sink them. It could prevent them from having a great start, right? Mm-hmm. It could prevent them from having the type of start where we, we're all getting excited about the team and talking about, hey— these guys are off and running. It might be touch and go a little bit. But as long as you know they get through the first 20-some games at or above 500, get, get through the first 25 games of the season at or above 500 slightly, th- that gives you a launching off point. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to be the best team in the league. It helps because uh, then you can play 500 for the rest of the season yeah, and it, cruise to the playoffs. If you play your best hockey at the beginning of the year and you have your best stretch over the first 20 games, you're going to have a bad stretch coming up. Every yeah. team does. You know, yep. Even good teams have bad 20-game uh, stretches. The Oilers uh, were incredible for the first couple of months of the season, and then they went in the dumps and had to fire Dave Tippett. Exactly, and then they turned it around again, yeah. and you know, and they ended up having a pretty good run in the postseason. But to your point, there's a lot of stuff that can kind of happen there. So. I'd say I wouldn't be too worried about it. Just be around 500 or better. Like, the first 20 games are going to be about establishing who you are as a team. Yeah. And they didn't do that at all last year. You know, not only were the results not good, but you had no idea what they were trying to be as a team either. Uh, The Canucks will play 13 back-to-backs this upcoming season. That'll be two more than last year. They ended up 3-3-5 and in their back-to-backs last season. So pretty much, um, you know, kind of 500. You know, they got 11 of a possible 22 mm. points in those in those 11 games. That's not a horrible record. Sometimes I think we over... Uh, I think we've started to overrate the back-to-backs. We used to, like, be, you know... Ah, uh, they're whatever you know. They're they're professional athletes. Yeah, they, they get the job done. And now it's gone too far to the point where it's like... Oh, yeah, you just, like, everybody just loses on the second half of a back-to-back. Uh, it's not necessarily true. It's schedule loss games, yeah. which are being, you know, more regu- regularly called now. And, I mean, like, the Canucks back-to-backs really pick up more in the second half of the year. Yep. So the good thing is they're not really being being hit with a ton of back-to-backs the first 24 games of the season. Uh, it is towards the end where that picks up a bit more. It is something to worry about at some point. I just... Listen, they're going to lose a lot of games this year. Yeah. You know, like... Th- th- 
a team that gets 96 points is losing like 30 games in yes. a season. Like you're going to have quite a few losses this year. I mean, it's going to happen. They're going to have, you know, ups and downs. They're going to have their stretches. All those things will go down. But I, I think the way they're built out, mm-hmm. the schedule shouldn't be what sinks the team. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I don't see the schedule doing that. And if anything, starting off on the road is not the worst thing in the world. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if I buy into, you know, it's great for bonding. They're going to, you know, hit it off perfectly or whatever. But I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. And then having more home games later in the season, I think, is big. Well, it does come back around. And that's yes. uh, how I think, you know, it is a positive in the end. Because come down to March, when everybody's getting tired, Canucks have their most home games in March when they'll really be in the thick of it trying to push for the playoffs. Nine home games in March, that is likely to be a very important part of the schedule for them. And obviously, uh, you know, more uh, division games as you get closer to the end of the year, too, or generally that's how the uh, NHL likes to schedule it. Do you have a non, non-obvious non breakout player for the Vancouver Canucks? Non-obvious breakout player. So the obvious one is Vasily Podkolzin. Mm-hmm. I think when people talk about breakout players for the Vancouver Canucks, at least when I've talked to Canucks fans and people that text into the show, um, it seems as though Pod Colson is the one that often comes up. And I'm not here to say that he won't be a breakout player. It's just generally what we, uh, in the in the fantasy sports era of sports, <laughs> we generally think of breakout as, you know, goals, assists, points. I think the most unlikely one would be Hoaglander, wouldn't it? Because the conversation around him was, wasn't just about, wasn't about having a good year. It was, it was yeah. is he going to make the team or not? Will he and even be on the team or not? Still, where does he fit in? Yeah. In the roster when everybody's healthy. He would have to be the most unlikely breakout yeah. player, I'd say. Because the conversation hasn't been around him breaking out this year. It's been about, does he survive here or is he playing down in, in Abbotsford? Abbotsford? Yeah. Am I too low on Hoaglander? Have I been? Yeah, I think we. I think generally the the sentiment around him is is more negative than it should be relative to what he is as a player. Yeah, like I don't think it's as it's it's as lost a cause as it seems. But I think the biggest thing here for him is the organization finding out exactly what he is and then making a decision on him as an asset for the team. You know, because I was having this discussion with with um, with a Canucks fan I was talking to last night. And basically, what this team can't allow to happen is any more young players dying on the vine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're either making him into a player or you're trading him before that asset value runs out. You know, and hey, we can look at your levy last year and say they got Lamico out of it and he ended up being okay and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, that wasn't a trade that helped you long term, yeah. you know? And, you know, Jake never amounted to anything. And, and I'm not trying to rehash those picks, but the point being, even go back to Hutton. If you realize it's not going to work with a guy, you got to move on from him before that value depreciates. And I think this year for him, the conversation I think is is a, a bit more immediate. Is because the sense is the organization is trying to make that calculation on him this year. It's like, hey, we're we're either believing in him or we probably move off of him before the value diminishes. So I wanted to save some of the the big players uh, for Matt Lee of BCLC, who joins us now uh, to talk about some of the player props on the Canucks this season and uh, whether or not they will make the playoffs and what the numbers are looking like for that as well. Matt, what's happening? 
Not much, guys. Eve of the Vancouver Canucks season. So I uh, hope you guys got a lot of sleep in the off season. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, well, we'll we'll sleep we'll sleep next uh, next June and July uh, is, yeah. is usually how it goes during uh, during hockey season. So we were just touching on uh, you know, breakout players for the Vancouver Canucks this year, and a popular one has often been uh, Vasily Podkolzin. That listeners say, but. You know, I th- I think about Elias Pettersson and where he can get to, and that's probably a point per game. And yet, over at bclcandplaynow.com, the total for Elias Pettersson this season is right around 70 points? Yep, 70.5 right on the dot. So you guys are doing your homework, that's for sure. And, I, I mean, I-, I-, I think that's a number Pettersson, as long as he avoids injury, I imagine he'll get there. Well, I mean, that's the big caveat here. And, guys, this is Elias Pettersson's fifth NHL season. And the good thing to know is that across those four NHL seasons he has played, he has produced at a 70.5-point pace or more. The problem, like you guys mentioned, has been the injuries. Or, in the case of last year, struggling to get out of the gate because of the existing injuries. So, for whatever reason, rhyme or the other, Elias Pettersson has certainly failed to crack that point-per-game pace or that actual point-per-game production that everyone has been hoping out of him. But maybe on the cusp of his fifth NHL season, at the age of 23, we're finally going to see that mm. next level from Elias Pettersson. And that's why it's at 70.5. And for the record, a lot of players on play now hitting the over on that mark. Yeah, I mean, I'd hit, hit the over on it. But to your point, it all just always comes down to injuries. Because, hey, you miss three weeks, that might be enough to not let you get to that total. And that's not necessarily a long injury. Yeah. So it doesn't take much for you not to be able to play enough games. But, you know, a player that's been discussed a lot um, and obviously a lot of excitement over the Russian who's on a ELC, a one-year deal, Andre Kuzmenko. And, you know, we're talking about breakout players and we're not quite sure what he can do. He showed really well in preseason as well. But... I think everybody kind of assumes that he will be somewhat productive this season. The question is, can he hit 20 goals or whatever? I know the over-under isn't quite 20 at play now sports, but what does uh, what do we know about Andre Kuzmenko and his totals? Yeah, I mean, take a dart in from a sportsbook perspective because you, this is a mystery box, flat out. I yeah. mean, you're just going to come out and be honest here. Andre Kuzmenko, the line is at 17.5 goals uh, over-under this year. It could be over, it could be under. I mean, he could be Nikita Gusev, or he could be Artemi Paterin, or he could be somewhere in between those two guys. You just don't know. But what we do know right now, everything we saw in training camp and in preseason, he's going to get a long leash in that top six. We've seen already he's on the top power play unit right now with the injuries that we've seen up front. So he's going to get every opportunity under the book to get to 17.5 or more because we all know on that one-year ELC, He's looking for a big payday on contract number two. As for uh, as for Brock Besser, you know the big talk has been uh, 30, 30 goals for Brock. What are we what are we looking at for a line with Brock this year on goals? Yeah, the big total has always been around that 30, 29.5 mark on Brock Besser. Uh, we don't have it right now on playnow.com because of that right. uncertainty coming into the season and the injury concerns. But yeah, the talk has been, will Brock Besser hit 30 goals this season? And I know that's been covered at length. We'll see if Brock Besser finally gets to that next level. If you're a believer in guys like Elias Pettersson and JT Miller to not regress too much, you've certainly got to be a believer that Brock Besser can take that next step. What about Quinn Hughes? I mean, Quinn Hughes had a pretty strong season last year. And, well, if there's a player who has somewhat of an unlimited ceiling, it really is him. So what are we looking at as far as the markets around the young defenseman? 
Yeah, it, I mean, I tweeted this out earlier, but it seemed like with 68 points last year that Quinn Hughes had one of the quietest franchise record-breaking <laughs> performances ever last year. Yeah. I mean, of course, there were so many storylines at the end of last year, but Quinn Hughes, the over-under on total points this year, set at 65.5. So it's in the range of what he had last year. But you guys just, kind of just mentioned it. He's still so young, and there's so much more growth, I think, in Quinn Hughes' offensive ceiling. I don't know if we've seen the full ceiling just yet. Is it going to be this year? But I don't think anyone's going to blink if he said that Quinn Hughes can crack 70 points somehow this season. There's certainly that potential for him to do so. Remember, guys, he had 31 power play points last year. Literally almost half of his production came on that man advantage. If the club's power play remains a top 10 unit this season, he's going to get at least half of those points again on that man advantage. Uh, Matt Lee, BCLC, uh, our guest in this uh, Canucks season preview. So uh, as far as the team goes, um, total points and well, more importantly, like, will they get in the playoffs? Is that I feel like nobody at BCLC is betting the Canucks to not get in the playoffs, even the most pessimistic Canucks fans. Yeah, everyone's certainly hitting the over on the implied points total for the Canucks at 93.5, and and they're certainly looking at them uh, in terms of making the playoffs as well. They're actually a betting favorite to make the postseason, where they're actually the only sportsbook that has them as the favorite. But, I I mean, we all have followed this team from start to finish in the offseason. We've seen the additions made. We've seen the Boudreaux bump, if you will, Now the proof is in the pudding. Is this team actually for real as a playoff contender? I think it's a legitimate conversation. Are they a Stanley Cup contender? Nobody is saying that. But in terms of actually getting to the postseason, there's every chance that this club can get into the the playoffs as well. And on that note, Pacific Division finish, Vancouver Canucks favorite, getting a lot of that money to finish in the third spot in the division, which would obviously make them a playoff team. So if we're looking at, you know, individual awards for this season coming up. I mean, whether it's Hart Trophy and, you know, Vesna and all that sort of stuff. Would you say Demko is probably the favorite out of any Canuck to take home some of that significant hardware? Yeah, I mean, barring a, a Herculean season from Quinn Hughes, I would probably say so, guys. Let's be honest. If Thatcher Demko hits his ceiling this year, he's going to get Vesna votes. At the end of the day, no matter how he says it, we already seen a sampling throughout you know, the last couple of years in terms of what Thatcher Demko can do for this team. But you look at kind of how the Vesna field, if you will, is a little bit more wide open now than it ever has been. It's going to be Shesterkin, Vasilevsky, and Saros as that kind of trot trio of goaltenders that are going to compete for the Vesna. But don't shy too far away from Thatcher Demko. The odds are long on Demko at 19.0. But they're not as long as you think. He's definitely in the mix. He's definitely going to get votes, assuming he stays healthy. I uh, I've been looking at Kale McCarr for the Hart Trophy. I'm going to be honest, Matt. Yeah, it's sixteen point zero. There's insane value on Kale McCarr. I mean, is the Stanley Cup hangover a thing? I, I guess we'll see. But there are definitely uh, worse long shot bets you could make than Kale McCarr to win the Hart Trophy. I agree with you, Reach. Yeah, love it, uh, Matt. Always appreciated. Glad to have you back for the season. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is uh, Matt Lee, BC Elsie, joining us uh, here on uh, Canuck Central. You know, it it is fair. You know, if you are going to pick one Canuck to win a major individual award, Thatcher Demko is likely the one you are most. I mean, it's it's the easiest one to imagine, because even Quinn Hughes to win the Norris Trophy. Right now, are you betting anyone other than Kale McCarr for the Norris? No. 
Well, you know what? Uh, actually, like, it's actually, so rare to have a guy win it back to back. It is. You know what? Though, um, I think if you're looking for value, it would be the year to bet on somebody else to win it. Yeah. Because again, like if he misses 20 games because of something, then yeah, that doesn't happen. I, there isn't enough juice on it for me to be excited about. Um, you know, for McCarr, for Norris, it's decent, but I mean, yeah. it's not like you know he, he's the betting favorite on it. I would actually look at somebody else if I'm putting a wager down. Longer odds. For the Norris? For the Norris. Is there a name? (laughs) I would say Quinn Hughes right now. If you bet $100 on Quinn Hughes to win the Norris, you'd win $2,100. I'd say Roman Yossi. At playnow.com. Roman Yossi's 8-1. to So still getting pretty good numbers on a guy that almost put up 100 points last year. And you know what? In one of these years... He's going to win it. They might just give it to him. Uh, it's it's very rare, you know, for Kale McCarr. Like, as much as I like Kale McCarr's game, um, like two things happen in award voting, especially because there is a little bit of subjectivity into it. Sometimes, like, voters get fatigue. Yeah. Or, or else you'd give Connor McDavid the Hart Trophy, like, every year. Right? I'm not sure we're there yet with McCarr. No. Like probably he, not there. You know, yet he's with still McCarr. like he's. I think everybody's still infatuated with how great he is. Yeah, you can't overlook it yet. Like he's got to make it normal for that to happen. Like remember, like last year, McDavid barely finished as a finalist for the Hart Trophy. Yeah, that's all out of you know. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, he's. Who else are you betting to win the Art Ross? Right. You're not betting on who's going to win the Art Ross because you just imagine it's going to be Connor McDavid unless he gets hurt. I mean, you can pencil him in for 120 points. All right, so before we talk to Matt Lee there, and a a final thought, uh, breakout players for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Like, it is Elias Pettersson, right? Like, he's the guy. We've talked about this, Sat. He is sort of the most important player to the Canucks. We have confidence Quinn Hughes is going to be able to carry his season on from last year and we're just confident that he's that player now Demko we're confident he's still going to be good between the pipes but the way the Canucks really raised their floor this year is second half Elias Pettersson plays like that for a full 82 games I mean the ceiling of this team is going to be determined by their best young players yeah or their best players in general and that's Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, and, and J.T. Miller. Those are the four really high-end players they have. The ones well, that really move the needle. And the player who has the most undefined ceiling so far is Elias Pedersen because he hasn't yet had that big jump year the way Quinn has, you know, after a yeah. year of struggling. So what does that look like this season? And if he does go into that superstar discussion, it changes everything for this team. And even if he doesn't, it can still make the team really competitive as long as he's at the pace he showed last year. But if he takes that next step, then you become a player that's not only elevating the players on your line, you're literally making the rest of your team better by having a, a massive difference maker on your team. And if you, ha- if, if you get to a point where other teams are looking at it and saying, the guy we got to shut down is Elias Pettersson, what does that do for JT Miller and Bo Horvat? Yeah. You know, and right now, I don't think the Canucks are viewed as a team that you have to dedicate all your resources to shut one line down. I think Miller sure seems to be that. Do you do that? And when you looked at the Sedins, when they took that step, they became the line. Mm-hmm. They were the catalyst. And a lot of it's going to depend on who his partner is going to be to have that duo to get back to having it. But, yeah, I mean, if Elias Patterson takes that step into superstar status, 
then maybe the discussion isn't just about, you know, do they make the playoffs? It's like, okay, so how many points do they get? Like, yeah. you know, are they actually legitimately fighting for top three spot here? It's, uh, it is interesting to think about where Pedersen can be. Uh, the other prop on Pedersen, 31 and a half goals. I, I would hit the over on that one as well. But uh, maybe I'm just too high on, on Elias yeah. Pedersen. I like this from Gordy Locke on Twitter. Um, if anybody's gambling on the Canucks to make the playoffs, so many props that go hand in hand with it. As mentioned, go over on the EP, over on JT, over on Demko, over on Quinn props. Also, Bruce pays 21 to 1 for Jack. If Canucks hit 100 points, Bruce will be a Jack favorite. That's a good point. Ah, uh, Bruce, there it is. Yeah. If the Canucks get 100 points. Bruce, there it is, could be a thing. Yes, it could. Could win a Jack Adams. Uh, really great stuff. Uh, glad you've been along for it on the Canucks season preview. Tomorrow, the real thing. Uh, Kevin Woodley will join us. We'll get in on the news of the day with the Vancouver Canucks, as we always do. And our first pregame show of the season. 7 o'clock puck drop between the Canucks and the Edmonton Oilers. I hope you'll be along with it, or with us, for it, in English, please. For producer Josh Elliott-Wolf, my co-host, Satyar Shah, I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening to Canuck Central on Sportsnet 650.